So I'm going to talk to you today about the hand we need. That's the title of our message today, the hand we need. The scriptures were written over 2,000 years ago, the New Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures were written even before then. Almost 4,000 years of history has gone by to give us the scripture. But they are just as relevant today than in any other day. The problem we have is an old problem. You guys do realize that, right? The solution to our old problem is not an old solution. It's an eternal solution. The hand of man cannot solve the problems facing us today. The hand we need is the hand of God. So let's read Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 26 as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. You ready? Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who... When they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is, this is where we get the, the term Christian. It came from this city in Asia called Antioch. It's where they begin to call the followers of Jesus, the followers of Christ, Christians. That's what a Christian is, someone who professes to follow Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Illuminate your word and let your word find entrance. Let it change us. Let it transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of God. That we, too, would be a people who would turn our world upside down, that we too would be a people that would give a bold and courageous witness to Christ, that we too would be a people of light, walking as children of light, dispelling the darkness of our age. We ask that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. So, we continue our journey through Acts, and we see here that 
Remember, Peter preaches to the Gentiles. He goes to the house of Cornelius, and this, this breaks a barrier. This opens the way. Now, in these verses, <clears throat> it says, now those who were scattered after the persecution. This is the persecution we read about in Acts chapter 8. Remember, the church was stuck in Jerusalem. All the believers, all the Jews were there, and they were having this great fellowship all together with all the other Jews. And they were not all living in Jerusalem. They lived in Judea. They lived in that area, and they would come and go. And the church was exclusively Jewish. They weren't going out beyond Jerusalem and Judea to preach the gospel. They were all hunkered down there kind of in Jerusalem. And Jews would come and go from different parts of the world, and no doubt they would preach the gospel to them. But that's not what Jesus told the church to do. Do you remember the words of Jesus given to us in the Great Commission? Remember when Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem and wait for them to come to you and make disciples. Oh, wait, that's not what Jesus said. Or maybe Jesus said... Be sure you make, you make your churches really attractive so they'll come to you and then you can disciple them. Oh wait, that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. This is our commission. This is the command of God to his church. I'm part of this church. I'm a pastor in his church. So I can say without guilt, the church has failed. I'm not saying every church and every congregation has failed. I'm saying, though, if we look at the landscape of our culture, we can come to no other conclusion except the church has failed. Do you know what God did to motivate those followers of Christ that lived and centered themselves in and around Jerusalem? You know what he did? He brought persecution. And this is what the scripture says. Those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, in Antioch, they didn't just go to the next town. I mean, they, they scattered. The persecution was severe. We always think the Romans were the great persecutors of the early church. No. You know who persecuted the church first? The Jews did. You know who protected the church from the Jews? The Romans did until Nero started persecuting. So the persecution scatters them. The Lord used persecution to move the church to fulfill his command to be witnesses to him beyond Jerusalem and Judea. 
Persecution moved the preaching of the gospel into Samaria and beyond to make disciples of the nations. God used persecution to move the church out of complacency and apathy. I believe today, complacency and apathy born out of comfort and fear are the greatest hindrances to the church in our time. We love our comfort and we fear the cancel culture that we live in today. Oh, they might cancel me. They might shun me. They might say bad things about me. They might not let me be their friend anymore if, fill in the blank. If what? If you love Jesus? If you follow Jesus? If you give witness to the gospel? We love our comfort and we fear the cancel culture of our day. The desire to be accepted by man is greater than the desire to be obedient to God. God has historically used persecution. Read your history. I know we generally do not, but read it and you will see this is the case. God has historically used persecution and hardship to motivate his church into obedience. We are not beyond that today. We can choose obedience at any point, just like I told the kids. And we are all kids of somebody. Hopefully you are God's child. And if you are God's child, you can purpose in your heart to continue in the Lord. We can choose obedience at any point and perhaps avert the judgment that will surely come if we do not. And that's not being negative, that's just being realistic. Pretending God's judgment will never happen is deceiving ourselves to ease our seared conscience. His judgment is here right now. You do realize that, don't you? It's here right now. Someone asked me, actually people ask me this all the time, Pastor, do you think God sent COVID-19? And my response is, I have no doubt God sent COVID-19. I also know that the enemy wants to use it to destroy people, just like the enemy wants to use everything God has to destroy people. I mean, if the enemy will take the word of God to kill man, which is exactly what he did in the, in the garden, then why wouldn't he take the things that are products of the fall to bring about man's destruction? But the good news is God sits above all of that. God is the sovereign above that. God is the power that transcends the power of a virus, the power of a devil, the power of a tyrant, the power of a congress, the power of anything of this earth, anything of man's making, God is the power that transcends all of that. Preparing ourselves through faithful obedience to Christ is what we are to be doing. Our assembling together is no small part of that. If you don't give witness to anyone or anything else, the scripture says you give witness to powers and to principalities. But I promise you, you give witness every time you get in your car to assemble together with the people of God 
and worship God, you are making a statement, not just in this community, not just in this earth, but to heaven itself. And that is not a small thing. We prepare ourselves by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. We prepare ourselves by sowing his word into our hearts. We prepare ourselves by being equipped for the work of ministry. This is why when you come here, I do my best to give you the Bible, to give you the scripture, to give you the gospel, because my opinion's not going to help you. But God's word will. This is what every believer should be doing so that we are his church that is empowered to walk in obedience to Christ in all things. Our obedience to Christ necessitates making him known to all through our words and through our actions. And it says that as they came, as they uh, went to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word, to no one but the Jews only. Here's the problem. Again, the persecution scatters them, but guess what they're doing? They're still preaching only to the Jews. Persecution drove the church out of Jerusalem, but it was still preaching to no one but the Jews only. That is why God, leading Peter to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, Roman centurion is so significant. God used Peter to break the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Salvation is for all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, not just for the Jews. <clears throat> it is for the world. Our assembling together here today gives witness to that truth. We are the product of faithful obedience to Christ throughout the centuries. Do you ever think about that? You should. Do you ever wonder where Taylor, Texas was 2,000 years ago? It wasn't here. It wasn't even in anyone's mind except God's. You realize that, don't you? You aren't here either. And you weren't in anyone's mind 2,000 years ago except God's also. The faithful obedience practiced throughout the centuries, starting with Peter leaving that rooftop and going to the house of a Gentile against all of his sensibilities, but he obeyed God. That breaking of that barrier is the reason we're sitting here today. God made sure that barrier was broken. Those centuries... Leading up to today, I want you to know they have seen darker times than the times we see today. Read your history, you'll figure that out too. The light of Christ will continue to prevail and grow, and we can be assured of that because that is the promise he made. And of his government and peace there shall, excuse me, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no in, said the prophet Isaiah 500 years before the birth of Christ. Prophesying the birth of Christ. Well, Christ was born. Christ lived. 
Christ was crucified. Christ was buried. Christ has risen. Christ has ascended and sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has defeated our foes. He has conquered the enemy. He has made an open show of them, triumphing over them in the cross. And we are his children. We are his church in the earth today. And his light will prevail. Period. There is no question mark at the end of that statement. There is a period, an exclamation point at the end of that statement. So never wonder whether Christ will prevail, whether the light will overcome the darkness. Light always overcomes darkness. We must not be like those disciples and withhold the message of the gospel from any we are to preach the gospel to every creature. That's what the, the gospel of Mark, the great commission in Mark, that's how it says, preach the gospel to every creature. Before you go sharing the plan of salvation with your dogs or your cats, go to your neighbor first, okay? Just be kind to your dogs and your cats. That's all they're worried about. Preach it to every creature. What, what, is God telling us to preach to the birds? I don't know, but I know this. God is telling us to preach to every human being, every kind of human being there is. Black human beings, white human beings, male human beings, female human beings, rich human beings, poor human beings. It doesn't matter. Preach the gospel. Give the gospel to any and to all. We do not withhold it. We are to disciple the nations, beginning with our own living out the gospel right where we live and work and play, beginning in our own families, with our own children. Your children are the most important disciples you will ever make, parents. Verse 20, But some of them, some of these who are from Cyprus and Cyrene, spoke to the Hellenists, some of the disciples spoke to the Hellenists. These disciples were Jews from Cyprus and Cyrene, living in Greek cultures, speaking to other Jews living in predominantly Greek cultures. This, this is who the Hellenists were. These being witnessed to were most likely faithful Jews who lived among and had adopted the culture of the the, the Greeks that they lived among in their Greek-centered cultures. They read a Greek version of the Old Testament scriptures that we still have today called the Septuagint. And they preached to these Hellenists and God moved and the Bible says many believed. Why? Because the hand of the Lord, verse 21, was with them. God blessed their efforts and a great many believed. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? We can do a lot of things apart from Jesus. But if we read that in the context of John 15, what Jesus is talking about is fruit that will glorify his Father. We can't live 
We can't grow and we certainly cannot produce fruit apart from Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless the hand of the Lord is with us, what we accomplish will not endure. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. <clears throat> if you read the rest of that scripture in its context, he talks about uh, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. When you put gold in the fire, what does it do? It refines it. When you put wood, hay, and stubble in the fire, what does it do? It burns it up, and it blows away, and it disappears. The Scripture says our work will be tested one day. The work of man will not stand unless it is blessed by the Lord's own hand. More than ever before, we need the hand of the Lord with us. The surest way for that to happen is to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. For then his promise is that he will lift us up. In due time. Due time is not our time. Due time is his time. People say, how long can this go on in America? Well, God knows because it's according to his timing. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. All of our cares, all of our concerns, where do they belong? They belong to the Lord. They're not meant for us to carry. They're meant for the Lord. It's the scripture that was read today when Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Our sin is that we want to carry our own burdens. We want to yoke ourselves to our own yokes or somebody else's yoke. And God says, No. If we will humble ourselves under his mighty hand, we can be sure that the hand of the Lord will be upon us, will be with us. The hand of the Lord was with them because they had been humbled under his mighty hand. That is what we must seek to do today. As we purpose to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he will not only lift us up, but he will shelter us in his presence. If you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. And I'm not saying that because it's impossible for you to catch a virus. You may. I'm not saying that because everyone's going to be nice to you and you're going to have all the money and all the things that you could ever possibly want. That's not God's promise. <clears throat> That's not what it means to be under his hand. What it means to be under his hand is that we are safe. Not that we'll never be hurt, but that we are safe. And we are saved eternally. 
And it also means that as we go out to do his will, to obey his command, his hand is with us. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. We will know the hand of the Lord is with us by the fruit he produces through our labor. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. I want you to notice it does not say only that a great number believed. For one to say, I believe, is a good thing. For someone to say, I believe in Jesus, that's a good thing. I love to hear that. But we must always remember, it's not a changed mind, but a changed heart that saves us. Out of a changed heart comes a changed mind. It cannot work the other way. Man can change his mind, and he does all the time. But only God can change a heart. Only God can change a heart. You don't just need an improved heart. The Bible says you need a new heart. Now, when is the last time you gave yourself a new heart? Raise your hand. Now, be honest. When is the last time someone here, or, or let me just say this, who here has ever changed their mind? Anybody? Anybody ever change their mind? More than once. More than twice. Three times? In your life, you've changed your mind more than three times? But how many times in your life have you given yourself a new heart? You can't do it. Man can't give that to you. Only God can give that to you. It's not a changed mind that saves us. It's a changed heart that saves us. And this is why the scripture, it's why this verse does not stop at a great number believed. It correctly says that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There's not just mental assent there, there's an action there. There was not just a confession of belief in Jesus, there was a change of heart that resulted in what? A changed heart life. A changed life is witnessed in a turning to the Lord. The command to believe in the Lord implies a change of heart with a turning away from sin toward the Lord. This is what it means to repent. It's a turning away from sin and a turning to the Lord. It is to change our mind, but that turn in the mind begins with a new heart. Now, once you have a new heart, can you still sin? You better believe you can. And every time you sin, what does the Bible command you to do? It commands you to repent. It commands you to change your mind because you can do that now with a new heart. It commands you to turn away from your sin and back to the Lord. Repentance is not just something we do once and we're done. Repentance is something we, we live our life doing. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you guys. But I'm telling you what. I have to repent quite frequently. I mean, I was sleeping great this morning. Before my alarm went off at 6 o'clock. And I said it a little bit later. Because I stayed up a little later. 
And I'm, I mean, I'm just dead and asleep. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. And it wakes me up. And I hear it again. And I'm like, mm, that's not a normal noise. And I realized it was my croupy sounding cat calling me. Not from outside, but from within my bedroom. <laughs> Gandalf had made his way into my bedroom, and he was calling me. He was saying, get up, Jeff. Get up, Jeff. Feed me. Feed me. I jump out of bed at 5.39 because I looked at my clock as soon as my feet hit the ground. What time is it? It's 5.39. And my cat is in my bedroom. That is not supposed to happen. Not just at 5.39. It's not supposed to happen anytime because God made animals. Sorry, you animal lovers. But God made animals to live outside. That's why he gave them fur and claws and sharp teeth. What are you doing in here? He's like, Come feed me, feed me. He, he knows right where to go. I go, let him out. He thinks I'm going to follow him and feed him. I let him out and I slam that door. I said, well, that door was closed. That door's closed. Those doors are closed. I walk in the sunroom. Sunroom door standing wide open. Now I'm telling you what. I had to repent because I wasn't real happy. Because if you've been in my house even for a short period of time. <laughs> and there are kids around, you're going to hear me say more than once, shut the door, shut the door. Hey, shut the door. You, anybody ever heard me say that? Shut the door. I don't know why they did it. But they got me a welcome mat that says, shut the front door. <laughs> I go in, my wife's in the bathroom. She's getting ready for church. I said, I can't believe it. The cat just woke me up. The cat was in the house. The sunroom door was left open. I'm so mad. I said those words. I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm confessing my sin to you. And my wife says, well, that's a great good morning. You ought to be glad that God gave you a new day and a new morning. You ought to be rejoicing. Instead, here you are mad. Dang, I can't ever get any support. In my sin. But you know what? She was right. Repentance can be something as comical as that. Or it could be really very serious. The point is, repentance is not just something we do once. Repentance is something we will have an opportunity to do daily, regularly. And God will make sure the doors are left open so the cat can wake you up at 5.39 in the morning. Maybe just to see how you're going to react. Maybe. I don't know. I failed my test this morning. But I'm confessing my sin now and I have repented. And I'm going to check the door. The sunroom door before I go to bed next time. So it doesn't happen again. A changed life is witnessed in a turning to the Lord. A new heart produces a new life turned away from sin and toward the Lord. It's not how instantaneous, but how consistent the change is. Change can come quickly and continue slowly. But it will come and it will be seen if someone has actually believed and turned to the Lord. 
the life of the Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit will manifest if one truly believes and has truly turned, it will be seen. This is what Barnabas was celebrating. This is what Barnabas saw. He couldn't see people's belief in their head. He could see people's belief through their lives, through their actions. The life of Christ in us must be seen through us, even with our many imperfections. We are all sinners saved by grace. This is why Jesus warns us to judge our brother righteously and not hypocritically. We are all prone to have beams in our eyes. We must be faithful to see them and to remove them by his grace so that we can rightly help our brothers and our sisters with the speck in their own eyes. This is love and obedience. If we are true to the gospel, some men will come to hate us. Jesus warns us the world will hate us because it hated him. But that never justifies being hateful. There is a way we can live our life and see the goodness of God draw men to repentance. When we walk as children of light, we will offend the darkness. There's no doubt about that. Because light dispels darkness and exposes darkness. There is a way to speak the truth in love, and there is a way to speak the truth without love. We should never use the truth to harm people, but to heal them. We do this the same way a surgeon uses a scalpel. The sword of the Lord can cut to kill, or it can cut to heal. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, Paul writes in Ephesians 6. The same sword we heal men with, will we slay dragons with. Do you hear me? The very same sword we heal men with, we slay dragons with. That's right, children. It is a magical and miraculous sword. The gospel is good news because it heals us. Our healing comes through the cross, which is life from the dead. Our life from the dead. It is not only believing, but turning. The gospel demands we live to God's glory. The gospel that is life to some is death to others. Men are either being saved or they are perishing. Those are the only two options. Christ is either the fragrance of life or he is the fragrance of death. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. For those who believe and turn to the Lord Christ is the aroma of life leading to life. For those who choose to remain in their sin, he is the aroma of death leading to death. Verse 23 says, When Barnabas came, he had seen the grace of God. He comes to Antioch and he sees the grace of God through the many through the many who believed and turned to the Lord. 
He knew this was the work of God's grace. The grace of God should be evident in the work of the church. It is the grace of God, not the work of man, that produces and multiplies the fruit of our work. God works through men, but the fruit of our work comes only through the grace of God. You can plant the peach seed, you can tend the peach tree, but at the end of the day, it's not you that make the peaches appear on the end of the branches. God does that. And we are to plant and water the seed in our own hearts. We are to tend our gardens, but we must know at the end of the day, it is not us who produces the fruit. It is the miracle, the grace of God. Now, if we don't do all the right things, you're not going to get any fruit. You can't just stick a tree in the ground and say, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait nine months now and see if I get some fruit. And in the blazing heat and the freezing cold, you never watered it. You never tended it. You never did anything to it. Don't think you're going to get any fruit. Say, well, I knew. I knew it wasn't real. No, it's very real. The problem's not the seed. The problem is the person tending the seed problem, Jesus said, is the ground. So what are you doing with your ground that God's given you? Tend the seed, plant the seed, water the seed in the good ground of your heart that God's given you. When he gave you a new heart, he gave you a heart filled with good ground. Now plant good seed in it and you'll have a good harvest. Today, as we look across our nation and see the division and the destruction that sin has brought, we must know that our healing will only come by the grace of God. It can only happen as the hand of the Lord is with his church. That means we must not only believe, but we must turn to the Lord in repentant obedience. Barnabas encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. God calls us to persevere, to run our race well, and to endure to the end. We are called to steadfastly continue in the faith. To believe and turn to the Lord is to acknowledge the eternal reality of a new creation. When we are born again, we are born into an eternal, not a temporary life. Jesus is not someone or something we try out to see how it works. I'm ashamed to say, I've told people before, just try Jesus. I have repented of that. Because Jesus is not someone or something you try. You don't test drive Jesus. If you do, you're headed for a crash. Be sure of that. You may confess to believe, but if there is no turning to the Lord, our confession is hollow. When we are born again of the Spirit, there is an eternal change, a new creation that causes the old to pass away and all things to become new. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. When we are made a new creation by grace through faith in Jesus, we must know that now all things are of God. Now, with purpose of heart, we are to continue in the Lord. What has happened in our nation over the last 50 or so years is the accelerated decline in people purposing to continue in the Lord. At accelerated rates, people are turning away from the Lord. Now in our nation, there are more people than ever who do not profess belief 
in Jesus Christ, much less follow him. <clears throat> so I have a question this Independence Day weekend. Do you know how old our nation is? Two hundred and forty-four years. I believe that's correct. Is that correct? Two hundred and forty-four years old. Is it too late for America as we begin our two hundred and forty-fifth year? How can we turn a nation from unbelief and disobedience? That's a question. That's a question the church should be asking itself. As we pray for our nation, and we better be praying for our nation. We better be praying for our leaders, whether we agree with them or not. We better be praying for the church. That God would grant her repentance because she's the linchpin in this whole thing. It's not Washington. It's not Austin. The linchpin is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this nation. That is what's going to determine whether we're going to see 245 and beyond or whether we're going to experience severe judgment that may end that calendar count. How can we turn a nation from unbelief to disobedience? It will be turned through belief and obedience. That's how. Unbelief must be changed to belief. It did for each of you who now believe. Did you always believe? I didn't. You know why we baptize our babies and raise them up in the Lord? Because we don't want our babies to ever know of a time that they did not trust in Jesus. That's actually what the Bible commands us to do. Disobedience must be changed to obedience. It did for each of you who now seek to walk in obedience to Christ. I was disobedient today when I discovered my cat in my bedroom. But I got it right. I got back on the obedience track. There are no magic buttons, but it is magical and miraculous. When God causes darkness to become light, when God causes death to give way to life, that, that is no less than magical and miraculous. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's a miracle, people. When he does this in us, our lives are to reflect that miracle of rebirth consistently and faithfully in all things. How will our nation be turned it will be turned by each believer walking in obedience to Christ, seeing change come as a result of their own obedience. That change comes one heart at a time, one life at a time, one miracle of grace at a time. I know, we say that's not fast enough. I want it faster. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Remember, due time's not our time. What is the part you play in turning your nation? Each of our parts begins with believing and turning to the Lord. That's where it starts. In your own heart. 
For each of us to walk in obedience to Christ. For each of us to fulfill his command to be and to make disciples. For each of us to humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. For each of us to keep praying and keep turning to the Lord. For each of us to have the purpose of heart to continue until we see God heal our land. Until we can say with Barnabas, the hand of the Lord is with them and the grace of God is upon them. It's hard to watch the news. It's hard to read the news. It's hard to hear the news. It's hard to see the images and say, oh man, the, the hand of the Lord is with us. They burned another city. They killed another innocent person just because of the color of their skin or because of the uniform they wear. No. When the hand of the Lord is with us and the grace of God is upon us, we'll know it. We won't have to wonder. You think this is it? We'll know. We continue to purpose in our heart to be faithful and to obedient until we see that. We should live boldly and courageously in Christ. We should love one another so the world will know we are his disciples. We should reject compromise, not compassion. We should contend for the faith, not against one another. We should judge the body we are members of, not the world we're called out of. We should give no place to the devil. We should be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. The real question that remains is how we will each play our part in his story. This is our time of visitation on this earth. If you just look at the, the ages across this room, some are just beginning and some are in their twilight. I'm more toward that twilight period. What will our life count for Will it count for Christ or will it count only for our own temporal achievements? That question is not about us doing big things for Jesus. The church is so obsessed with that, it is sinful. And it has caused people to enter into sin, thinking they're going to do some big thing for Jesus. It's about being faithful in the small, seemingly insignificant things of life. Those seemingly insignificant things are the things that are actually most significant. Everybody is looking for their 15 minutes of fame, but God is looking for a lifetime of faithfulness. It has been generations of unfaithfulness in the small things that have accumulated into the big problems we now clearly see in our culture. Our big problems are simply the long accumulation of unfaithfulness in small things. Do you know what you are? And do you know what I am? And do you know what that chair you're sitting on is? It's not one big thing. It's the accumulation, the collection of very small things that have come together in the miracle of God to make one big thing. Stop looking for the big thing and start paying attention to the little things. God wants a life of faithfulness in those things. This is the sad legacy of much of the church in our generation. 
Thus the glaring problems we see today, one of the things we faithfully do each week that is anything but insignificant is come to this table. There was a time in my faith when I said, well, we only take communion once or twice a year because we don't want it to become meaningless. I've actually had people come to this church, visit this church, and say, well, I, I didn't take communion because I want to make sure it's meaningful when I take it. What else do we do that with? I don't want to take the next breath I need because I want to make sure it's meaningful. I'm dying of thirst, but I don't want to drink this water right now because I'm not sure I really appreciate just how meaningful it is. You sit down at your table and eat every week and say, whoa, wait a minute, guys, I'm not sure we know how meaningful this meal is. No, you just sit down and eat. As you should. Give thanks first, but you know what I mean? We come to the table to express our thanks to God for the body and the blood of Jesus. We come to the table each week to affirm and to renew the covenant God established with us through the blood of His Son. We come to the table each week for the same reason you sit at your table each day, to be nourished. At the Lord's table, we are nourished with the rich spiritual food provided for us in the bread and the wine of His Son. We eat His flesh and drink His blood, and so we have a part with Him in His kingdom. Read John chapter 6. Jesus said to those disciples, If you do not eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no part of me. And it goes on to say that many departed and followed Him no more, for this statement was too hard them. Now, in our modern sensibilities, in the modern era of the church, after all of our church growth seminars, and we've learned how to actually preach and teach and talk about the Bible, we would say to Jesus, now Jesus, there was a way you could have said that, and all of those people wouldn't have left you. There was a way you could have said that to help them understand you didn't really mean you wanted them to become cannibals. You, you think Jesus didn't know that? This goes back to this idea that we know better than Jesus. That we know better than God's word. Because we're modern. We're educated. No. God knows. At the Lord's table... We are nourished. At the Lord's table, we partake. This is the power and the grace of God. What we do is not insignificant. It's very significant. It might not be a big deal, except to those who come each week. We'll never be world famous. We'll never... Be known to the world. But the question is, are you known to Jesus? Because at the end, that's the only thing that will count. When you find yourself knocking, will you hear, enter in my good and faithful servant, or will you hear the words Jesus spoke, recorded for us in Matthew 7? 
when he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I know you not. But Lord, we did great miracles in your name. Lord, we preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did signs and wonders in your name. Lord, depart, for I do not know you. You're invited to this table today, not only because Jesus died and shed his blood, and we have knowledge of that. You come to this table today because you profess to know Jesus, but more importantly, I hope you come to this table today because you know that Jesus knows you. Parents, you raise these children up. You don't just raise them to know Jesus. You raise them to have an assurance that Jesus knows them because they believe and they have turned and they have purposed in their heart that they will continue in that way. And they will stand one day in the judgment with boldness and confidence knowing that as he is, so are they in this world. This is what our nation needs. This is the hand the nation needs. It needs the hand of the Lord. And all you can do is make sure his hand is upon you. Amen? Christian, welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. Your charge today is simple, but it is not easy. We are charged to be bold and courageous for Jesus. Not only to talk our faith, but to walk our faith. To purpose in our heart to continue in the Lord. And then continue. To purpose in our heart to be faithful in the seemingly insignificant things. Even when we're tempted to pay attention to only the big things. For it is the seemingly insignificant and small things. They count and they add up to large and significant things. We are charged to pray that God would grant us repentance. That God would grant his church repentance so that our nation and our land can be healed. We are charged to prepare ourselves to walk through the fire that he may bring to this earth. If repentance is not granted, if his people called by his name do not humble themselves and pray. So pray and prepare. Pray that God would have mercy and heal our land and grant us repentance but prepare yourself to walk through the fire because you don't know yet what will happen. But God has shown us what we are to do. And in that sense, it doesn't matter what ultimately happens. The question is, are we prepared? Are we obedient? Will we glorify Christ through our obedience or not? Amen.